And, um, you know, we can start in 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, we can read there, and, and Paul talks about this, this exact topic in, in Corinthians. And actually, like, Corinthians is, is probably, it's the only place where he really talks about this ego type of pride. Uh, it's mentioned once in, I think, Thessalonians or Colossians. But um, other than that, this specific word for pride which is really an ego pride is just mentioned in, in first Corinthians. And so we can read from verse, um, we'll read from verse one through to six, if you want to read that, and then we'll kind of work our way back, uh, from there. Uh, so it says this then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. And as those entrusted with the mysteries of God, uh, has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against the other. And the context kind of is that Paul's preaching to the Corinthians, obviously, and he's talking to them kind of, he's targeting a specific issue in where the Corinthians had been fighting over basically who's better friends with Paul and Apollos and they they're using their friendship with him as a status within the church and um he's attacking this type this this pride and he he uses the word here uh, in other translations it's pride and whatever in in this in the NIV here it's translated as then you will not be puffed up in being a follower and it's this kind of like you will not you know have your ego puffed up you will not have your you will not build your pride or your security on being friends or you know knowing you know one of us whether it's me or apollos better um and like i said this this word in the hebrew it's it's um i think on the next slide the two words are there it's um yeah, so who, I, forgive me, I don't really know how to speak uh, Greek, but I guess hubris, you know, it's, that's not the one that's usually used. That's the use, word used for pride throughout the rest of the Bible, which is really just pride as we kind of see it most of the time versus, you know, physio. I, I don't, I'm not sure. But anyway, this meaning is really something being overinflated and uh, it kind of refers to to even maybe a swollen organ an organ that is like swollen and painful and um that's the word that paul uses here and it's he uses it seven times and six of those times is here in first corinthians um this is paul's view of the natural human ego this is what paul sees us being you know almost we're born with this natural ego states that is overinflated and um and painful even and there are four words that the book used you know drawing out from these scriptures throughout of corinthians they use four words to kind of describe this ego state 
And the first one is empty um, and then painful, fragile, and busy. And we'll, we kind of have a few points here on each of these. So on the next slide, empty. Um, yeah, it's, it, our egos are naturally empty. It's natural for us to want to build our security on something other than God. We want to build our security on something that gives us worth. Um, and often we don't necessarily, I think, um, you know, we're not puffed up maybe sometimes, but it's not healthy to be puffed up by your religiosity or your ego shouldn't be puffed up by, you know, how spiritual you are, but that can happen. Uh, it's our egos are painful because they're already broken. Um, naturally our egos are busy and that it's always trying. It's busy because it's always trying to fill the emptiness of the ego. And it does this usually by either comparing or boasting. And those are the two main activities that keeps our ego busy. Um, you know, you'll notice in verse six that Paul doesn't stop after saying, uh, you know, puffed up, but he says it's puffed up by something. It's puffed up by comparative and a boasting of this friendship, comparing to one another. You know, in C.S. Lewis, his book, Mere Christianity, there's a quote that reads, pride is by nature competitive. Our pride and our ego is always competing. He goes on to say in the book, and he talks about um, how, I have, the, I have the quote here, maybe it's better for me to just read it, but um, it's, it's, it's quite powerful. It says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better looking than others. If everyone else becomes equally rich or clever or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. So that's quite challenging, but this is kind of how our, our ego keeps itself busy. It's building a resume. Our egos are constantly trying to build a resume to keep, you know, to keep it, to keep it filled up. This, you know, the busyness and all like it, this competitive and it, this makes our fragile, this makes our ego fragile because anything that is overinflated is in danger of being deflated. A bit like a balloon. That's kind of the, the analogy they use. And Agnes will share more about this in a second. But this is kind of what Paul is challenging the Corinthians on here. This ego that they have. And, um, they want to use their relationship with him as one man, one upmanship over, over each other. And obviously this is relevant to them, but it's also relevant to us today in our church, in our lives, in our workspace, whatever. And I don't know, you have to, you have to search your own heart for your examples. But I mean, I see this in myself, uh, you know, and maybe a few small examples would be times in the past. And I'm sure times in the future when I preach or when I speak at a Bible talk or whatever, it can totally become for me about doing the best message or making the, the wisest comment or the deepest comment and being the one, you know, at the Bible discussion who keeps the discussion flowing, whatever it might be. Like I said, religious pride can, can be a big part of this and wanting to keep my, wanting to find my self-worth in something that I can measure as, as a person. Um, yeah, I think we've seen a lot of that this year. I think, um, 
I've felt empty this year. I felt questioned and, and, you know, I struggled this whole year to find a job and it was my plan to go to Sweden and I was going to get this kind of job and that kind of job. And I feel so humbled by God and I'm still not really sure why. And, and I feel educated and I feel uh, on a social level, I feel, um, you, you know, fit to, to have a job and I feel fit to, to work with people and whatever. But for some reason, God didn't think this was the year where I, where I needed that. And it hurt my ego. I felt, you know, I was in this place where I had to build a reputation and where I had to, you know, uh, I had to present myself for her friends and her family and her church. And I didn't feel like I was achieving that. I felt, um, you know, a bit humiliated, not, not finding a job and not being in the position that I wanted to be in. Um, and yeah, there are many other things and, you know, she's going to share some of her things this year. Yeah. Um, so I also read this book two years ago and, um, actually read it right at the time when we met for the first time in England. And I remember how it just challenged me in so many ways. Uh, and it really got to my core. Um, and I feel like that's been the theme also for the last two years of my life, uh, of just identifying my ego and just seeing how it how it affects me in my life daily and in my relationships and uh, so I grew up in Stockholm and uh, in the Stockholm church and it's about the same size as the Thames Valley church and I feel like I already from when I was born um, already um, had kind of an, of an image in the church because uh, my parents were leaders in the church and they were well known so I felt like I from already, already from when I was born, I had eyes on me and on my life. And I was also the first uh, teenager in the Nordic churches, churches to become a disciple. Um, so already fr from when I was very young, I was put as this example for mm. uh, how you should be uh, as a teen disciple. And a lot of parents used me as an example for their kids in how to live. And I think um, that really damaged me in many ways um just feeling like i always had to perform um i think i had a true desire to be close to god and to be godly but also i think just having so many people looking at me and at my life uh, i just felt like i just had this image on myself and had really high expectations on myself to always perform and always put my best foot forward um and just create a lot of securities for me to rely on uh, for my ego. Um, and I also did gymnastics and dancing and I was used to performing and doing well in school. And um, yeah, so I think that was just a, a great foundation, not very great, but it was a big foundation for uh, my life and for my identity. Uh, and I think when I read that book, it just really hit me. Um, and I could just really see how, fragile I was um, from just seeking so many securities from uh, outer things and not just from God. Uh, and I could just easily just look for things to fill up this balloon that he was talking about. Um, so the book describes uh, your ego as a balloon, as, as fragile as a balloon. Um, and also when it pops, there's nothing there. It's just a, a dead or what do you call it? Just a nothing really um and i i that's how i felt many times where i couldn't perform or when um someone pierced my ego mm. um yeah so 
I, I found many ways to just, um, yeah, rely on other things than on God. And I think that's really affected me. And it's also affected my relationships. Um, I can easily just go into a conversation in defense mode almost just to uh, make sure that no one can pierce my ego and that I won't have to be vulnerable or real or raw mm. uh, or just honest about who I am because I'm so afraid that if someone sees who I really am and if I, if I can't perform, I don't have any worth or value. Uh, and I think last year, God really stripped away many of my securities in life. And um, it started with my parents uh, moving away from Sweden and they went to California. And I've always just relied a lot on them and their identity and their wisdom. And I've always gone to them for just um, advice and just, um, yeah, they've just been a great security in my life and also in the church. Um, and I feel like last year when they moved, I just had to be on my own and I had to just create my own convictions and really uh, stand on my own feet and just uh, make my own decisions in life. And I couldn't just rely on um, them always knowing what's right and what to do and just go to them with all my problems. But I just had to go to God a lot and just, um, yeah, get rid of that security. And I also, since I was a young teenager, I always had different roles in the church of helping leading the teens or leading the campus and, um, last year I had been, been a part of the Uppsala group and just, I was leading the group for a couple of years. And last year I stopped uh, having that role too. And I think that was really good for me to just not identify myself with a role in the church, but just to identify myself in God and just find my worth in God and not from what I do or the role I have in the church. Um, and it was, it was, um, yeah. Sometimes I had to fight with my insecurities of, of feeling not worthy enough, enough or not good enough um, without that role. But I think it's been really, really good for me to just um, find myself in God and go back to Him and just pray a lot and just um, find, find value in Jesus and from the Word. Mm. And um, also with the relationship, um, when we started getting to know each other, a lot of people didn't know Him. Um, and we came from very different backgrounds and I think a lot of people around me had a lot of opinions and some people were very pro the relationship and some people were <clears throat> a bit, yeah, just uh, worried maybe because they didn't know him and they didn't know the church in England and uh, there were so many different opinions and I, I just really had to stand on my own and just make up my mind and make my own decision because I just felt like whatever I do, I'll make someone disappointed or worried or, um, yeah. So I think that was a good opportunity too to just build my own convictions and really learn how to um, make my own steps in faith and not just rely on people and rely on um, feeding my ego through people's approvals of, yeah, how I make my decisions. Um, so I think that's been really cool too to just use this last year to just um, go to God and build my own convictions and not really get my affirmation from, from my performances or from what people think of me. Um, and I think not having to impress people or protect my ego gives a lot of peace and a lot of freedom. Um, I don't have to go into a conversation and just defend myself to protect my ego from being pierced. Um, and I think I've just experienced a lot more 
peace and freedom um, in this last year of just knowing that I'm walking with God. And um, if I'm, if I don't have to keep filling this balloon with securities, um, I'm untouchable with God. I can just walk around and just feel secure with God and not just feel like I need to defend my ego. And mm. I think a scripture that has helped me is in Philippians 2, um, Philippians 2, verse 2 to 3. And it says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And in the Swedish translation, it also says, don't impress each other. And I think that has really got to me, that I, I think I've many times in my life just wanted to impress a lot of people. Um, and I think I've, I've really been thinking about this verse to not try to impress anyone um, and not just look for ways to get affirmation. And it's really um, just helped me be more unified with people and be able to get help instead mm. of just trying to present myself perfectly. Um, yeah, so those are my experiences in this mm. topic. And I'm still, it's, I think it's a daily uh, fight and I, I'm still working on it. And I think it's something I'll work on for the rest of my life. But I'm, yeah, I think this book has really, really helped me and it's mm. going to continue sharing. Yeah. So I think there's obviously, I mean, I mean, at least to me, I think there's a lot in that that I can relate to. And it feels a bit like it feels very normal. It feels like maybe some of you are thinking, well, of course you felt that way. Of course you went through this. Of course you went through that. And I think we don't maybe question our ego as much as we could or, and I felt that way. And I think I was interested by by Paul's perspective here. And I think just seeing that he really went through a transformation. This is something that Paul changed in his life, which gave me hope. It was, that's what inspired me to believe that, okay, this is something to attack pride, ego. That's not something to just put down as a normal characteristic in our life. This is something that really hinders our relationship with God. And it's something that Paul attacked in his life. We can do that too. So what transformation did he go through? Well, we see in um, verse three to four, I think, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. And this was the line that also really caught my attention. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And so if we move on from here, we can kind of talk more about, okay, practically what could this look like? But Paul is saying, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't care about anyone's view of him. Not his, his identity owes nothing to what people think of him or to what people say. His self-worth, self-regard and identity is not tied to anyone's verdict of him. Not even his verdict of himself. So, I mean, again, practically, what, what does this really look like? Uh, I think there's one small principle that we'll get to at the end that I, that I think is manageable because this is a big topic, obviously, but there's a small principle that we'll get to at the end that I think really, uh, I think just gives me uh, something to grow towards and something to hold on to uh, in, when we're talking about this. Well, I think if you ask most people, how, how do you deal with this? How do you practically get to that place? Probably a lot of us would say, well, you choose. It's up to you. 
you decide who you want to be and then you go for that or uh, decide what you want your standard to be and live by that. Uh, no one's opinion matters, like only your opinion of yourself matters. And according to Paul, that's not true. He says that he does not even judge himself. There's a great part in the book that I, I probably wouldn't be able to, you know, do justice. So I'll, I'll read it for you guys. Uh, I think it's on the slide too, so you can follow along. Uh, one more. There you go. So it reads, um, what would Paul say to those who tell him to set his own standards? He would say it is a trap, a trap he will not fall into. You see, it is a trap to say that we should not worry about everyone else's standards. Just set our own. That's not an answer. Boosting our self-esteem by living up to our own standard or someone else's sounds like a great solution, but it does not deliver. It cannot deliver. I cannot live up to my parents' standard and that makes me feel terrible. I cannot live up to your standard and that makes me feel terrible. I cannot live up to society standard and that makes me feel terrible. I cannot live up to other society standards and that makes me feel terrible. Perhaps the solution is to set my own standards, but I cannot keep them either and that makes me feel terrible. Unless I set incredibly low standards, are low standards a solution? Not at all. That makes me feel terrible because I realize I'm the type of person who has low standards. Trying to boost our self-esteem by trying to live up to our own standards or someone else's is a trap. It is not an answer. And um, I think you see this in Paul's attitude. It's kind of funny, like, you know, this makes me feel terrible. And that, and that can often be the way we think. It's anything we try or anything, it comes to a point where you end up feeling disappointed or terrible and not good enough. And it's this, a bit of a cycle for us. And you try and fill your ego and, and it, it doesn't work. Um, you know, I think Paul was most likely one of the most influential people who ever lived. You could argue that with, with the influence he had and the people he, whose lives he changed and the way the stature he had and uh, the credentials spiritually too, like everything he did. But we see in First Timothy 1 verse 15, uh, I think on the next slide, you know, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Of who I am the worst. Paul, Paul did not consider his accolades and achievements um, you know, he didn't, he didn't allow that to make up his identity. He didn't connect his accolades to his identity. But here we also see that he didn't connect his sins to his identity. So it's confusing. It's, it's not really about building ourselves up, but it's also not about breaking ourselves down. You know, in the previous scripture where he said, he has a clear conscience, but that doesn't make him innocent. He was able to have a clear conscience despite being guilty of a lot. He has, he has come to a place where his ego no longer draws attention to itself. I don't know. I think it feels impossible to me. But again, I think I was surprised um, by, by just the small principles that we can bring into our life. And C.S. Lewis, again, speaks on, um, in, in the book, Mere Christianity, speaks on um, gospel humility and what is the real... What is a gospel humble person? And uh, I think there's a, there's a slide for that too. But the thing, 
the, the quote in the book is, the thing we would remember from meeting a truly gospel humble person is not that they are humble, but how much they seem totally to be interested in us. And the little principle at the end is kind of like, in essence, the essence of gospel humility is not thinking less of myself or more of myself, but thinking of myself less. And I think the temptation in this topic and pride and ego is, and especially in the world, you know, it's uh, like I said, you know, you choose and um, you, you build yourself up. Like you're amazing. You're incredible. And, and that's great. It's good to love yourself. It's good to, to not, you know, break yourself down, but it's also good not to be filled up by what makes us feel good. Uh, you look good. That fills me up. You, this, these are fra These are just things that we're throwing into our empty ego. It's the balloon analogy. It will pop. It's fragile. There's nothing lasting there. The goal is to get to a place you know, like Paul was, where our ego is no longer, um, our ego no longer chooses to draw attention to itself. It's not about building myself up. It's also not about saying I'm the worst. And that's not humility. That also is pride in a sense. You're still drawing, you're still drawing attention to yourself. The goal is to think of yourself less, less of yourself and more of those around you. And this is what we see in, um, you know, Philippians, if you do one more scripture, you know, and this ties really well into, um, into communion, you know, we, re we see that in Paul, Paul went through this transformation in his life from when he met Christ to this point where he's talking to the Corinthians, he had gone through a, a really intense transformation with his ego. It was a foundation. It was a cornerstone in his relationship with God. This is what we see in Jesus's attitude when he's on the cross too. If you want to read, um, you know, Philippians 2. Philippians 2, from 2 all the way to 8. Yeah. It says, uh, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Uh, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Mm. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in, a, found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, even death on the cross. Yeah. And we see that word servant in both passages in First Corinthians and here in Philippians. And that was the attitude that Paul wanted to encourage them in, in was see us as servants. We are your servants. Paul went to serve. He didn't go to build up accolades. He went to give from himself. You know, it's the preacher analogy. Like, if am I here to impress you guys with the words that I know and this and that? Or am I here to change something in this church? Am I here to give? Because God, because of God, I'm here to change something. I want to create a church that's more, um, you know, that's closer to what he desires, not a church that respects me. I don't want respect. That was Paul's attitude. And that's what we see in Jesus also going to the cross as a servant, making himself nothing, nothing. It's so counterintuitive for our society to become nothing. When you look for a job, you have to be something at home. You have to be something. It's always about respect. It's always about your accolades. 
But in our spirituality and in our relationship with God, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's, it couldn't be more the opposite. We have to become nothing. Our egos have to become nothing. There has to be, there has to be nothing there for us to draw attention to. You know, Paul was, like he says, let God be the judge of me. He is so, um, you know, he's so stable before God because that is his anchor point. His ego is not his anchor point. His accolades are not his anchor point. You know, and I think we'll, we'll end it there as we kind of go into communion and taking communion. And I, I hope you see the relevance here between just Jesus dying on the cross, both, um, you know, with the attitude of, of not having this ego pride, but I think also just by doing that, he gave us the opportunity to change this behavior in us. And we get to keep going back to him and keep fighting this fight against our ego. Um, there's a, there's a small little thing in the book that I think is helpful. It's a little test that they say you can do, uh, at least just a question that you ask yourself to kind of get thoughts going on, on this. And I, I think it's important. Like, I, I think it's good for us not to forget our ego and not to forget our pride. It's something that interferes with our relationship with God and with one another in the church. The church has a lot of problems and a lot of great things too, but usually the problems come from this you know, pride and building up accolades or wanting to be um, whatever, whatever it is, wanting to be the great leader or whatever it might be. But in the, in the book, they just say, how do you respond to criticism? Just asking yourself that question and getting, getting that conversation flowing with yourself of, you know, is, does conversation, does criticism make, does it puncture your ego? Is your ego fragile to criticism or do you see it as an opportunity to grow and to change? Do you see that it's, it's your goal to look to God and to, to change your life and to be transformed like Paul was? Um, or is it your goal to keep building up accolades and have a, have a safe ego? Um, but anyway, I think, yeah, that, that's kind of, what a big that's been, been a big thing for me and it's it's been a thing for her too a big thing i think and uh, i just i think i feel maybe you can tell that i feel passionate about this topic um but i think there's a lot here and and i think it's something that i know everybody can relate to um but i yeah i, I hope we can take this into our communion too and as we kind of just meditate on jesus body and blood and and just the sacrifice that that uh you know, self-sacrifice that he, he made without any ego. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Should we pray dad or do you, yeah, should we pray for communion? Perfect. Um, Father God, thank you so much for this chance. I feel so grateful to be back with my spiritual family and um, to have extended it too and, and just to have seen you work in other countries and other places and to get a broader perspective in that sense and um, just to, to have gotten to know you more, God. And um, But it's so good to see these people again and, and um, to, to be able to bring Agnes here. And uh, Father, I really pray that this message, you know, that... That, I, uh, that me and Agnes spoke, was spoken through you and was spoken um, using the Holy Spirit. And I pray that it can land wherever it needs to, God, and that the relevance in this message can, can hit each of us in, in whatever way you see relevant and you see need, um, God. Father, we, 
are so grateful for Jesus and um, just Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, just the body and the blood and um, the fact that we are renewed and we get the chance to um, speak to you openly and we get the chance to repent and we get the chance to question ourselves and look internally and make changes and God just do it all with a clear conscience because of you Father we we too like Paul can have a clear conscience even though we are so guilty Father we are not worthy we we don't deserve it but you've given it to us and there's nothing other then there's nothing for us to do other than just accept it and be grateful and allow that to be the root of our transformation. Um, Father, thank you so much for that. I, I really pray for what's going on in the world with Corona and um, just the social issues, God, and there's so much to pray about. There's so much that's hurting in this world. Um, I pray that we can uh, individually, God, as individuals, we can just bring some positive influence into that and that we get to be your light through this and um, just because of what you've done for us, Lord. Uh, we pray for the rest of today and the rest of this week and uh, we give the service and, and everything to you, God. In, you, in your name we pray. Uh, amen.